Okay, so I just have a short word for today. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the Gospel of St. Matthew. St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Now this is known by almost all Christians. Uh, if you've been living for the Lord for a while, you'll know this uh, chapter and section of Matthew's Gospel as the Beatitudes, or the Sermon on the Mount. Today, I want our attention focused on one verse of Scripture, which is kind of unusual, because we're not going to take that verse of Scripture out of its context and set it up for you to see. Um, actually, the definition and the meaning of this Scripture becomes evident within the context of chapter 5 of the Gospel of St. Matthew. So what I want you to do, uh, even though I'm going to be spending just a few moments talking about this one verse, um, I want you to see how it applies to the entire Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave uh, for our spiritual growth and development. And this sermon was also given, you see, at that time, uh, Jesus was preaching, if you will, to the general population. So uh, we know that this isn't necessarily just a Christian, quote-unquote, sermon, although, of course, it's easier for a Christian to, to fulfill these things, and in reality, only a Christian can fulfill these things. I mean, we've got Jesus saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, etc. And so we understand that, that conversion is what will produce those things in you and I. But as to the audience that Jesus was talking to, it was just the general population that was gathered there that day to hear Jesus' teachings. Okay? And I want us to look at <clears throat> the 13th verse, Matthew 5, 13, as we read together, You are the salt of the earth. Jesus said a couple things here. I'll mention it briefly at the beginning. He said, You're the salt of the earth, and you're the light of the world. And he's talking about those people there that day that would hear his message and, and had possession of these attributes of humility which is really what the Sermon on the Mount denotes is attributes of humility. And that's the humility that only Christ could produce in our hearts and lives. And so Jesus, I can imagine, as he was looking at the crowd there that day, he's knowing in himself, this one will accept me. This one will accept me. This one's not quite there yet. Oh, Father, I pray for him. This one will accept me. This one will not accept me. Jesus knew these things, but he preached as if he did not know them because he always gives humanity the choice. We have the choice to obey the Lord. We have the choice to come to Jesus. And then as a Christian, and this is where it gets tough sometimes for you and I as believers, as Christ followers, we have the choice whether or not we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in our hearts and lives. Sometimes you'll notice people who have been saved for a very, very long time, but they're not uh, too much more spiritually mature today than they were 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Why is that? Because sometimes 
we don't allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in us. We get trapped in our own way of thinking, our own mindsets, and we, honest to goodness, believe we're right, when in reality, the whole way, we're going in the wrong direction. I have always liked to use the Beatitudes as a, as a compass or a, a road map, if you will, as to the types and characteristics of humility, which is the bottom line of these verses, I believe, humility that Jesus wants to produce in my life. And he calls his followers, he calls those people who embrace him. At whatever stage of your life that you have embraced Jesus Christ and made him your Lord and Savior, at that point, you have become the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Okay, that's verses 13 and 14. We're reading verse 13. And we're talking today about the salt of the earth. Glory to God. It says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its flavor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. And I don't believe that's necessarily so much referring to tossing out a person as it's referring to the person taking inventory of their own heart and life to see what kind of fruit they are producing, what type of salt, are they, are they fulfilling the, the responsibilities of the salt of the earth? And if not, toss out those thought patterns, toss out those behaviors, Toss out those stubborn characteristics that's guiding the course of your life and embrace the humility of Jesus. So you, you are the salt of the earth, and then it adds the word, but. But, if your salt doesn't have the flavor it needs, you need to throw that out, and you get back into the Word of God, and you get back into prayer, and you let the Holy Spirit do His work in your heart and life, and give you the flavor of God in your heart and life, the flavor of Jesus. The Bible says that God is love. And so, God's children should also be characterized by love. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. I'll go ahead and read verses 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. Men do not light a candle and put it under a bushel basket, but on a candlestick, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Thank God, hallelujah. Don't you realize that no matter how dark it gets in our world in this generation, no matter how strong, no matter how powerful the evil appears to be, no matter how thick the darkness, light will drive it out. Glory to God. Do you realize that light is more powerful than darkness? If you walk into a dark home in the middle of the night and you cannot see where you're going and you begin to stumble, but if you light a match, what happens? It pushes back one match worth of darkness and you begin to see your surroundings. Can you imagine what it would be like 
in a city or a town or a community if all of us who are Christ followers would each light a match, so to speak? Can you imagine how brilliant and how brightly that light would shine to a darkened world that's forgotten God days without number and we are here to be that type of representation to this world. We are here to pray for those who despitefully use us. We are here to stand in stark contrast to the way that this world does things. Let's read a, another verse of scripture here. It says, I just want to read what Jesus said that stands in stark contrast to the way the world we live in does things. And this is part uh, today of our saltiness before the Lord. He said, You've heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, verse 38. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. Now that doesn't mean you don't resist the devil. And it doesn't mean that you just tolerate poor treatment. It, it has in its connotation a meaning that suggests that you don't respond with like kind to evil. You don't resist evil with evil. Okay, That's embedded in the original uh, language that this is written in. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That flies in the face of our culture today. If any man will sue you at the law, take away your coat, let him have your shirt too. Whoever compels you to go a mile, go too. Give to him that ask of you, and from him that would borrow of you, do not turn away. You have heard it's been said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But this I say to you, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And you can read the rest of it there. Let's apply the concept that we're about to study for just a few moments of salt to these verses of Scripture that we have referred to basically the entire 5th, 6th, and 7th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. The salt of the earth. Salt, I believe, serves three practical functions that apply to us as Christians. First of all, salt purifies and cleanses. Salt is actually a mild antiseptic. When your throat is sore, you know, if you gargle with warm salt water, it speeds up the healing process against the germs and the bacteria that's in your throat. And I know that's really, really true because of the work that I had done on my teeth. And the, one of the first things that the dentist told me to do was gargle with warm salt water. Because it's a mild antiseptic agent that purifies and cleanses wounds. You getting, you getting the picture? What America needs today are Christians that love Jesus more than they love themselves and will be used as a healer of wounds in the United States of America in 2017. That will be used even as a healer of wounds in the body of Jesus in 2017. Instead of uh, looking and focusing everything about our lives on ourselves, we are called out from that to be purifiers 
and cleansing agents in God's hands. Saline solutions, which is salt, are used in some medical treatments. Sea salt can help to remove plaque and prevent gingivitis. So first of all, salt purifies and cleanses. Secondly, salt is a preservative. In the days before we had any kind of refrigeration, salt was used to um, cure meat in order to preserve it for longer periods of time. A lot of that, you know, a guy would go out hunting in, in the wilderness days, he'd go hunt and kill an elk or a buffalo. Well, you can't sit down in one day. Now, even if you've got a, a small wagon train of people, you can't sit down in one day and eat a whole buffalo, friend. So they had to have techniques of preserving that meat so that it would last for a longer and a longer period of time. You know something that's very interesting? I did a radio program the other night as it pertains to the elections that we've just come through. And one thing I said on there, which to me is a powerful thought, but it's, it's a heavy responsibility for you and for me. Um, God gave us more time, preservation, he gave us more time to win more souls into the kingdom in such a time as this, right before the Lord Jesus Christ returns to planet earth. And so you and I as salt, as agents of preservation, are to be declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ we engage our culture by speaking the gospel. We believe, therefore we speak. And when we speak the gospel, the Bible tells us that the gospel is the power of God. When we speak the gospel, we're speaking power. But it's more than just power. It's the power of God into the situation. And God uses it, praise God, as a redemptive agent in the earth preserving godliness, preserving righteousness. And we've been given more time to do this, making it that much more of a responsibility that we bear. You see, salt draws moisture out of that meat. And it provides relief from bacteria because if you notice mold and other bacterias, they grow in dampness. So the, the, the job of salt is to suck that dampness, to, to, to draw that dampness out of the meat so that it can be preserved. And it didn't rot as quickly and it didn't corrupt as quickly. And I want to tell you this. <coughs> if every television preacher, every radio preacher, Every internet Christian blogger, everybody who calls themselves a Christ follower, if we would just begin to speak the gospel into our culture, it would begin to soak the moisture of corruption and rottenness and decay out of our society. That's the, that's the action that God is describing here. How do we respond to evil and to mistreatment? We just keep preaching the Word of God. We don't even necessarily have to address 
especially if it's on a personal level. You don't need to necessarily even ad address an individual who's persecuting you or mistreating you. Because the, it's the spirit behind them anyway, which is an evil spirit, that's prompting them and pushing them. What you do if you are being mistreated and persecuted is you just preach the gospel more. And get that working in the atmosphere around your life. And God literally, listen now, God literally puts, oftentimes, I've, I've experienced this thousands of times in 35 years of ministry, I've experienced it, that God puts a hedge of protection around His servant and you can't touch that which God has protected. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So it's, it's, it's not that we, we focus on a person who's offended us or a person who is attacking us. I have that happen all the time. And I, I can honestly say, in times past in my life, it might have consumed a little bit of my thinking. Now I think about, it one, about one minute. Just long enough to say, well, bless them, Lord. Give me a Bible. I'm going to go kick the devil in the head. Hallelujah. That's how I handle that. That's, that's how I handle these people out here who, who think they're too good. Oh, you don't even want me to go there. Want to pick apart every little thing you preach. You know, those kind of folk. Come on. I'm just going to preach it louder. I'm just going to preach it longer. I'm just going to preach it straighter. I'm just going to preach it true. I'm just going to preach it as long as I have breath in this body. You can't shut up a God-called ministry gift. Hey, and that's the way we defeat Satan's agents of hate. Why? Because when you proclaim the cross, what are you proclaiming? The love of God. The love of God. So first of all, salt purifies and cleanses. Secondly, salt is a preservative. And thirdly, salt uh, is added to food to render it palatable and acceptable when it would otherwise be tasteless and unacceptable. And so as Christians, we are charged to do for our society what salt does in the natural order of things. We are responsible to purify and to cleanse our society by our very presence, by our influence, and by our prayers. We are to be a purifying influence that does not go along with the forces of evil, but act, actively resist them. And remember, when, when we, we read Jesus say, see to it that you resist not evil, he was meaning don't resist evil with evil. Don't resist evil in kind. That's the original Greek phraseology. We, how do we resist evil? The gospel, speaking the gospel. I have believed, therefore I speak. When I speak the gospel, the gospel is the power of God, so therefore I'm speaking power, but not just power. I'm speaking the power of God 
into a situation when I'm telling the story that we are sinners and we need a Savior and we could not save ourselves, but God loved us so much that He sent Jesus to the cross and Jesus died on the cross and shed His blood and paid for our sins. When I'm preaching the gospel, it is the power of God. It will become activated and it will be used as a purifying agent and a preserving agent and a palatable agent in our world today, in 2017 and beyond as long as Jesus tarries. This is the importance of the job that you and I have as the salt of the earth. We are to preserve our society by stopping the forces of corruption that seek to ruin it. Manifest corruption is at work in every area of our lives today. Social, political, moral, educational. But you and I are the salt of the earth. We're to be an influence that restrains those forces of corruption and does not give them free reign and does not allow them to drag our culture into the pits. That's our responsibility. I read an email that Pastor Jonathan Falwell sent out just a couple of days ago. And it really struck me, some of what he said is hard to hear, but it is absolutely the truth. And I'm going to read a part of that email to you as soon as I find it here. As we go looking for our responsibility as Christians. And so we all have our own ideas of what that is, right? You know? And our first and foremost priority should be loving God. And secondly, loving people. And worshiping God and serving people. And that's where the salt of the earth comes in as we begin to understand these things. Here's what Pastor Jonathan said uh, in an email uh, just recently. He said, I fear that the condition of our culture today is a direct result of Christians too often shirking their God-given responsibility to proclaim the gospel. That may sound like tough language, but the evidence is clear. So many are sitting back and complaining about how people are behaving around us and how the world is increasingly violent and contradictory to what God has ordained. We're shocked when we watch the news and read the papers and we wave our finger at the world as if to say, I can't believe you are behaving that way. Well, here's more tough language. The church has not been doing its duty to reach our nation and our world with the gospel. And people are acting that way because they don't know Jesus. Seriously, he said, can you imagine what our nation and world would look like if the people of Bible-believing churches everywhere were, first of all, living holy, humble lives of submission to Christ, and secondly, routinely declaring the gospel with hearts of compassion toward others. The fact is this. When we preach the gospel with the right heart condition, people's lives will change and the culture will follow. That's just what we've been talking here today. We're the salt of the earth, okay? Let's read a little more. Remember, this is an email sent out by Pastor Jonathan Falwell. We have seen this to be true in the great 
revivals of times past. And we know that the same God who moved among men before is still on his throne. Hallelujah. Amen to that. 2 Timothy 4.2 contains our marching orders and how we, as followers of Christ, should be living. It reads, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Wow. You see? And we have fallen short in this. I, I'm concerned. Now, this is not the email. I'm going to come back to Pastor Jonathan's email. This is me, okay? I'm concerned that we have tried for so long to be culturally relevant that we have lost this culture to uh, philosophies that are opposed to the Jesus that we love and believe in and preach. And we didn't say anything because we didn't want to hurt people's feelings. Just like I made a statement in my message the other night that some people took completely out of context. But I'm going to say it again, and I'll tell you exactly what I mean, and this is exactly right. This is Word of God. This is Bible. And we need to stand up for it. I said if end times prophecy preaching makes you fearful, then you need to do something about you. Now notice, I didn't say there's something wrong with you. I didn't say that. I said you need to do something about you. Don't expect the prophet to quit preaching. Now there's the context of what I said, see. And the whole church world that heard it, everybody knew that it was right, except just a few people that take it out of context to try to make an issue. What are you saying? I'm saying we're going to stay on the wall. We're going to do our duty. We're going to preach the truth. It's going to be up to each one of us to keep our lives clean and to repent when we need to. And live by the word of God because we are the salt of the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's read a little more of this email. Being ready, as we saw in 2 Timothy 4, 2, means that we must continue on in our callings despite opposition. Well, it gets a little hard. I'm going to quit. We don't get just what we want when we want it. I'm going to quit. I'm not going to go. Can't be that way. We're the salt of the earth. We must look ourselves in the mirror every morning and say, are you ready today? Are you ready to go reach the world for Jesus today? That's what God wants from us. And remember, He has promised never to abandon us as we live for Him. We must not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jerry Falwell Sr. used to say, we can't just curse the darkness. We need to light some candles. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. So now, it's time that you and I get serious about doing the right things for the glory of Christ. God has given each of us a purpose, and it's to win souls in the hour that we're living in. This is our responsibility. We are, first of all, responsible to purify and cleanse our society by our very presence, influence, and prayers. Secondly, we preserve our society by stopping the forces of corruption that seek to ruin it. Thirdly, we are to be to our society, let me say this again, we are to be to our society what salt is to food. We are to make the place in which we find ourselves palatable, acceptable, and appealing to God. Now let me let me buckle down on that just a moment. I didn't say it's to be palatable, acceptable, and appealing to those around us. 
And certainly there are going to be those who are going to look at the way we live our lives and want what we have. That's the point. Amen? So certainly that is going to happen. But the point is also that we want God to be pleased with the way we're living our life today. We want God to be pleased with the message that we're preaching. We want God to be pleased with the way we're handling our emotions. We want God to be pleased and bring glory to Jesus Christ in every single thing that we do. Now, we are not perfect, and that's why Jesus died. Because God knew that we would need to continually go back to the altar and the sacrifice and to get cleansed. And as we stay in that process, it's called progressive sanctification. As we stay in that process, then God uses us as the salt of the earth to lead others into that process. Glory be to God. Glory to God. We can render literally our society acceptable to God by our presence. That's why it's going to be so tough on the earth after the rapture. Because when our presence is no longer here and there's nothing restraining evil, and when God looks at it, He doesn't see any praise and He doesn't see any holiness. He doesn't see any righteousness. Oh yes, there'll be people saved during the tribulation and He will see them. But that's a different dispensation that they've entered into at that point in time. Many of those who are saved during the great tribulation will actually pay for that choice with their lives. Hallelujah. But they will be taken instantly and ushered into the presence of Christ, just as they are now. Glory to God. We hold back, literally now, what is holding back God's judgment? And what is bringing other people to His mercy right now? Us. We are the salt of the earth. So God has said, even though I believe we will see some selective pockets of judgment fall in 2017, we're also going to see a huge ingathering of souls into the kingdom of Jesus because God has said, I'm holding back my full judgment. I'm holding back the majority even of my judgment a little while longer, giving men space and time to repent. And who brings them to repentance? You and I. How do we do that? By engaging our culture, by speaking the gospel. Just what we've been preaching all fall. As we engage our culture by speaking the gospel, the power of God is released. And as that power of God is released, and it's up to you and I to show this world that there's a kind of strength that the world knows nothing about. A strength that is not brutal. A strength that is not cruel. A strength that is not aggressive. But a strength that does not oppress others, but rather lifts them up. And this, this strength that I'm speaking of, the power of God, the gospel, doesn't exploit and enslave, but rather it cares for and liberates. The strength of the gospel, the power of God, does not destroy, but it heals. Okay? The strength of the cross is the message that this world needs to hear. And the strength of the cross is in the laying down of our lives. We know that Jesus died on the cross for us, and He tells us, if you want to be my disciple... Take up your cross daily. 
Die to yourself and follow me. That's the reason that with people talking behind my back, that's the reason with people just saying whatever they want to say, that's the reason even with close friends who withhold their support, whatever, I'm going to keep preaching this gospel and have the joy of Jesus, hallelujah, in my heart because a world's depending on the gospel. It's not depending on those people and I'm not either. Glory to God. I'm dependent upon my Jesus and he has told me to go and he has told me what to preach and he has told me, he, he said, I will put my words in your mouth. Let them talk to Jesus and when they start talking to Jesus, He's going to reveal Himself to them. Hallelujah. And they will repent. And they will be healed. And they will be delivered from their backslidings. And they will come to the foot of the cross. Hallelujah. Many will come for the first time. And many will come again who have once walked with the Lord. But you and I have to speak forth the truth in great boldness in the times we're living in. I mean, we can't even let up for a minute. We cannot compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Because that, my friend, is the love of God. That the truth, truth is love. Truth is love. Truth is love. Love is not this syrupy, smarmy thing that pats everybody on the back all the time. Sometimes God wants a certain thing said a certain way to confront us. And that is His love. And that is you and I representing Him in love. Hallelujah. Everything must be seasoned with salt and was seasoned with grace. And love must be in the, the heart motivation of why we do what we do. Because we are called to be the salt of the earth. And so because I love a man, I can tell a man there's hope. Because I love the culture in which I am a part, I can tell the culture that there is hope. And that hope is found in the cross of Jesus Christ and in no other place. And then as we lay aside the sin and we decide that we're going to follow after Christ, He begins His cleansing process in our lives. And sometimes we don't get rid of everything overnight. Sometimes it's a long process for some things in all of us that it takes a while to get total victory over. But we find ourselves less... We, we find, you know, when we're going through a struggle, I remember when I went through a struggle with my temper. I mean, I had a temper. And I still have that potential today. But I can honestly tell you it's well under control thanks to the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, anytime I want to let that guard down... Anytime I don't have the armor on, it can resurface. But when I was really not getting a handle on it very much at all, and I was really having almost daily battles with it, I want you to notice, I didn't curse the preacher when he preached on temper, and when he said temper was a sin, and when he said temper was bad, I didn't start cursing preachers. Hallelujah. I mean, man, I had more spiritual sense than that, amen? Because I know that in the speaking of that gospel is where the power of God is. Hallelujah! And so we just continue in the areas of our lives where we, the salt, fall short. We keep 
throwing aside that worthless, flavorless salt that's in us. The attitudes, the thought patterns, the behaviors, the lies that the devil tells us, whatever the case might be, and we replace it with the Word of God. And actually, the Lord does a sovereign work when we take the step of faith then the Lord just supernaturally replaces things in us that were not like Him with things that are like Him. So, so here, here's the thing about it. We've all got some flavorless salt in our lives that needs to be cast aside so that the flavor of our life can be developed by the Holy Spirit to bring glory to Jesus wherever we go. And we're all somewhere in that process. Guess what? We will never be perfect until we get to heaven. And again, God knows that. That's why he sent Jesus. Amen. So we go back to the altar, back to the sacrifice, as often as we need to, to get the grime cleaned up out of our hearts and lives. And every trip back, hallelujah, we, we come away from that altar looking a little more like Jesus than we did when we went up there. I'm not talking about necessarily an altar at the front of a church although that can be a part of it, but I'm talking about the altar in our hearts, the place that the cross holds in our lives and what Jesus did there for us. And we begin to look more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world that is around us. Matthew 5.13, once again, as we close, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. So let's put under our feet those things that are in us that belongs to the devil and to the world and to the flesh and to lust and to carnality and allow the Holy Spirit to bring forth His fruit in our lives. Father, I thank You for this message today, this short time that I've had with these people. Father, take the Word and drive it to our hearts like arrows of deliverance. God, liberate us now. In Jesus' name I do pray. And everybody would say, Amen and Amen.